Hello friends, it's Bill Allen from Tyler, Texas here on the very first day of October. I'm glad that you're joining in. This is a Facebook Live study that I do on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons um, at 3 p.m. Uh, Central Time. It goes somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes is my goal each week and I usually hit pretty close to that. Uh, we've uh, covered over the last uh, year, uh, this calendar year, once uh, the COVID-19 pandemic hit and knocked us all for a loop, I have been doing these Facebook studies. We started in Matthew earlier in the year, uh, covered the book of Matthew, and then uh, we went to the book of Acts during the summer. I enjoyed that study immensely uh, through the book of Acts, uh, taking a chapter each week, uh, each day actually, so about two chapters a week. And uh, now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Psalms starting uh, this month or last month in September. And so it's uh, been uh, a great study, I think. It's uh, really, in, uh, I appreciate it a lot because it gives me a lot of encouragement just to think about these Psalms and read these Psalms and um, remind myself of, of these honest uh, worshipers who genuinely reached out to God, whether they were having a good day or a bad day and they talk to God about it. And uh, I think that's a great thing. Uh, there's no sense in hiding anything that you're thinking or feeling from God. He knows about it already, right? So you might as well be upfront about it. And that's the one thing I love about the psalmist is that they are very upfront with God. When they're having a great day, they praise him and sing his praises. And when they are having being tried and, and tested by their enemies and threatened, they talk to God about that. Uh, when um, they are concerned about uh, their health and their sins and their nation, they talk to God about that. And so I, I love the Psalms. Um, and so we've been looking through the Psalms, and uh, it's always good to see uh, some folks that are joining in. Um, I have my dear friends, Lenny and Joe Allard from Arlington, are, are listening in and watching in, and I appreciate y'all so very much. We love y'all. You know that, but we love you very, very much. And so many others that have joined in on these uh, studies, either live, as uh, I show them uh, at 3 p.m. on my page, and then we put them on the church page, the church Facebook page, and later on our church website, westerwin.com. Com. Uh, we have um, a, a live stream page under uh, social media and other resources and click on live stream, scroll down a bit, find where it says archives and you can uh, search for a whole bunch of uh, Bill's lessons. So if you're having trouble sleeping at night, now you know exactly uh, how to get through that. Um, great to see Eric and Cindy Mosley chiming in. Nice to see y'all and uh, it's just a great blessing to be with you this afternoon. We uh, On Tuesday, we looked at a couple of, of psalms of praise. Last week, we looked at some uh, psalms as we finished up our introduction and, uh, and then looked at a few uh, uh, call to worship psalms. And those are, those are great psalms. Those are psalms of praise also, but they also serve very well as a call to worship, calling all of the assembly, for example, in our day, uh, the Jews in the Old Testament psalmist days, to uh, worship the Lord. And uh, the psalms that we're looking at uh, on Tuesday were great psalms of praise, uh, Psalm 148 and Psalm 150, the last of the psalms. The great Psalm 148 that starts out in the King James Version, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. 
And we talked about that one last week and how it has inspired that great hymn, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah, and also the great hymn, Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore him. That one with the fun bass echo at the uh, in the chorus. Um, and so today we're going to continue that. We're going to continue to look at a couple of psalms of praise. And um, one of them, I think, is probably the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, Psalm 118. And another one is a psalm that is um, that is uh, inspired a few of our hymns as well, even now. And um, and so that is a uh, that's going to be a, a great, great thing when we turn over. Uh, to Psalm 8. It is one of my favorite psalms. I know I say that all the time. This is my favorite book. This is my favorite scripture. Well, that's Psalm 8 is a great one, uh, but let's get to it first, shall we? Starting in Psalm 118. Um, as I said, Psalm 118 may be the most quoted psalm uh, in the New Testament. Um, it is certainly one of the most frequently quoted, uh, and um, and it's interesting where it's placed. The shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117, which we looked at in our call to worship study uh, last week. And the longest chapter in the Bible, as you know, is Psalm 119, uh, uh, whose focus is on the Word of God. And we'll be looking at that one coming up, I believe, next week. Um, but you have, uh, in the middle of those two, the shortest and the longest, you have Psalm 118. Um, though some have claimed it is the middle chapter of the Bible, Psalm 118, and you're just going to have to chase this one down on your own and figure it out. Because I kind of got uh, mixed reviews on that. Most of the sources I looked at said that Psalm 117, that one I just mentioned that's the shortest chapter in the Bible, is the middle psalm. Um, Psalm 117 is the middle chapter of the Bible, and I think there are like a, 1,189 chapters in the Bible or so. Uh, and I'm not sure if it may be because of a different version that some have said it's Psalm 118 and not Psalm 117. It could be math. I'm just not sure. I don't think that the English uh, versions have different chapter numbers. I do know that depending on the version, you may have more verses in one chapter than you do in another one because of some textual variants or how they um, have uh, translated. But um, anyway, you check me out on that. I think the middle chapter of the Bible is Psalm uh, 118, uh, or is rather Psalm 117, and we're looking at Psalm 118 today. Uh, it, my good friend John Murray, uh, who is uh, expecting to have another heart cath uh, later on in the next week or so, the next couple of days perhaps, or even the first part of next week. Uh, our brother John and Melanie, such wonderful members of our church here, our hearts and prayers are with you, my friend. But he and I have chatted some, and uh, uh, he has given me some wonderful information about this important psalm, uh, Psalm 118, uh, telling me that it is the last uh, psalm in the Jewish Hallel. It's worship uh, 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 scriptures and psalms that the Jews would use and would sing at Passover. And uh, that is composed of Psalms 113 through 118. And so if Psalm 118 is the last of those, uh, then it's very likely that that could have been the last thing that they did, uh, Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper. Uh, if you consider that a Passover dinner, which I do, 
um, then you are uh, then you you see that it could very well be at the end of that passage when the gospel writers write after they had sung a hymn, then they went to the uh, garden and that's when Jesus uh, was betrayed by Judas Iscariot and the rest, as you know, uh, happened in a very um, a very traumatic way. Uh, but that last hymn they sang was likely this song, uh, Psalm 118. And it was uh, uh, the last thing that Jesus and his disciples did together before going off into the garden where he prayed and they slept. And then Judas came and he was betrayed and all the disciples uh, fled. Um, and so as we look at this psalm, we're going to kind of break it up a little bit and uh, describe what happens. The first part in verses one through four, the psalmist calls on all to praise God for his enduring love. As I said, uh, this psalm is perhaps the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And so as I read through this psalm, uh, listen for things that you recognize from the New Testament, from other places. And um, if you want to go ahead and sing out loud, sing out loud. Uh, my dear friend and big sister, um, Barbara Kasky is watching from work. So you may not want to sing out loud, Barbara, but you know, hey, I'm good. If you're good, I'm good. Um, psalm 118, the first four, four verses, the psalmist is, it's a call to worship. Uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. It's a call to worship. It's calling everybody uh, to sing the praises of, of God. And why? Because his love endures forever. And I, 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 you've heard me mention this before, but it's interesting to me. I've heard some people be critical of some of our more contemporary hymns uh, and songs uh, that have come out over the last, I don't know, maybe eh, 30 years or so, um, 30 or 40 or maybe even more, um, saying that these songs, they're too repetitive. The choruses, they sing the same chorus over and over and over again. And, and granted, that's a preference thing. And sometimes I like it, sometimes not so much. But you uh, you can't say that it's not biblical <laughs> because here's a little taste of that in Psalm 118 verses 1 through 4. There's a lot of repetition here, too. In a sense, he's singing the chorus in each verse. His love endures forever. And if you want an even bigger taste of it, turn over to Psalm 136, I believe it is, which uh, is a psalm that has uh, that in every verse every verse in the whole psalm ends with his love endures forever. Um, so uh, at any rate, the psalmist is telling everyone uh, to join him as he worships God because of God's enduring love. And then we look to the body of the psalm, verses 5 through 21, and the psalmist praises God for his deliverance. Uh, this is one of those psalms of gratitude, psalms of, uh, of showing God thanksgiving for his presence in delivering the psalmist. Uh, Psalm 118, starting at verse 5. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I think that's, a, that's one of those quotes. You've heard it before. You're thinking, where did I hear that? Where did I hear that? I believe that's from Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, that that great passage that talks about the presence of God 
uh, God is with us, so what can mere mortals, what can man uh, do to me? Uh, Peter uh, has some similar statements to that as well. Um, okay, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Um, so a little comment here about trusting in political leaders. <laughs> the psalmist said, yeah, and it doesn't always work. And I think in this election year, with all the craziness that we see every single day during this campaign, it, it causes me to do two things. Number one, it causes me to thank the Lord that I live in America, that we, can, we are, are living in a democratic republic that allows us to choose our rulers and our leaders. Uh, it's not just because it's somebody's son like it was in the days of the psalmist, but it's because the people elect them. And granted, there are some uh, difficult times uh, during that process, but what a blessing uh, that is. And the second thing that I think about is um, that our trust needs to be in God and not in any political leader. It doesn't matter which party wins the next election. It doesn't matter who is in the White House or in the legislature or in the governor's mansion. Sometimes it's going to be my person, sometimes not. Sometimes my candidate might win or my party might win, sometimes not. Um, and, and, and we pray. We pray to God, according to uh, Paul telling the, uh, uh, telling the church at Ephesus uh, through Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 to pray and talking to the Roman Christians in the very center of the empire uh, to be submissive to their authorities in Romans 13 and other places. Um, but uh, here is one of those passages where it says, look, <laughs> trust in the Lord. Uh, be grateful for your leaders. Respect and submit to them. The Apostle Peter tells us to do that also in 1 Peter chapter 2. But in the end, our trust is in God. On my Sunday afternoon studies, uh, we'll be looking at that great statement in Philippians 3, just around the election time um, next month that says our citizenship is in heaven. And so I have some thoughts I want to share about that, but I don't want to pull my punches. Plus, I'm running out of time already. Um, the Lord is with me, verse 6. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. As we said, all the nations surround me, verse 10, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. Again, some repetition, but hey, it's poetry. It's poetry. It's a book of, of songs. It's a book of, of um, poems. And, um, and praises to God. And the psalmist is very captured with the deliverance of God. And that's really the point of this whole psalm. And he is unashamed uh, to thank God for this great blessing of how God has given him victory over his enemies. Verse 13, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. 
Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Again, that that powerful arm of God is up. And the psalmist says, that's who's fighting for me. As we sing sometimes in another song, the battle belongs to the Lord. And that's what the psalmist realized. And the Lord had given him the victory. The Lord had uh, delivered him. Uh, Verse 17, I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. That's a great thing that you see time and again in the Psalms. They don't just talk about how God has delivered them and answered their prayers, but they also say, I am called upon to share that good news. I want people to know that my God has delivered me. Uh, What a great, uh, great thing. Uh, Verse 18, the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The psalmist doesn't soft sell the difficulty. He acknowledges, hey, I've been chastened by the Lord. The Lord has He hasn't saved me from the threats. He hasn't saved me from the suffering, but he has delivered me ultimately. And and I think that, again, that's an honest approach. It's important for us during a a year of pandemic and shutdown and economic uh, challenges and health challenges and a a very polarized uh, election campaign. Um, We realize that Uh, In the midst of all of this, there are some very difficult things that we're going through. But at the same time, we also acknowledge in the same time, we also acknowledge that the Lord is our strength, that his right hand uh, will save us. Um, From there, we look at the end of this great psalm, uh, verses 22 through 29. And here the Lord is praised for his love and salvation. And it's going to begin with a very familiar passage that's quoted several times in the New Testament. A few times in the Gospels, uh, Peter quotes it as well. Uh, The Apostle Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 4 as he and John are being threatened by the Jewish leaders. Uh, The Apostle Peter uh, considers it again in some of his other writings. Uh, Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. This stone that the builders rejected, uh, the Lord has made the cornerstone, the very centerpiece of the foundation. Jesus uses this exact statement and quotes it uh, in the Gospels. As the Jewish leaders are rejecting him, he tells them, uh, The Old Testament, he didn't call it that, of course, but uh, the scripture tells about this time. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, the foundation stone uh, for the rest of the foundation. And the Lord has done this thing. Jesus again says that when Peter and John are threatened, as I said in Acts chapter 4, they also look back to this great statement. Uh, Peter mentions this great statement in 1 Peter 2, encouraging disciples who are at the bottom of the social scale uh, as refugees in modern-day Turkey, more than likely, um, those who had been scattered, who were uh, exiles, who were resident immigrants, as um, uh, some have written, Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon. I think that that's uh, exactly, exactly right. 
Verse 25, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Another great New Testament quote of this psalm. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, they said that to Jesus during the uh, triumphal entry, as we call it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus himself will tell them, uh, <clears throat> you're not going to see me again. You're not going to, you're not going to, you're, this is your day. He would say near, near his death. But he said, there will be a, another day coming when you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we have faith that Jesus will return. And that once again, we will actually make that very statement. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, um, the gospel writers tell us. Um, verse 27, the Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The psalm ends the way it started. Uh, his love endures forever. A great, great psalm that calls us to praise God for the one who came in his name. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Reminds us that the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And just as the psalmist perhaps saw victory uh, in the midst of uh, the threats of his own enemies, uh, Jesus and the, God, the New Testament writers remember that statement from Psalm 118 and apply it to our Lord who was rejected uh, just as that foundation stone was. And yet the Lord, the Father has made that stone, that act, that death, burial, and resurrection, the very center of our salvation. Um, what a great, great blessing. Well, we have a little bit of time, so I do want to look at Psalm 8. It is a great, it is a great psalm. Uh, we have a couple of songs in our songbook that are taken from this, probably more, but here's a couple of them. One of them is a more contemporary song uh, that starts out this way. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've probably heard that song. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Uh, that's a wonderful little short contemporary song, uh, number 42 in our songbook. And then there's the old one that used to be song number 562 in the old books, just like Psalm 148 was song 148 in that book. Uh, the This song was 562, I'm pretty sure. In our books now, it's song number 215, and it starts out with that real low alto lead. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent thy name. And then later on, you have the basses come in with a lead. We'll praise and magnify thy name forevermore. And the sopranos and everybody else is echoing that. And then the great hallelujahs at the end and the high amen that only those great lead sopranos, like my dear friend Sabrellas, can reach there are um it's just a great great hymn a great great hymn and it's taken from this psalm psalm 8 both of them depending on the translation it's O lord our lord how excellent is thy name in all the earth or O lord our lord how majestic is your name uh in the niv that i'm using uh it's the latter of those um psalm 8 which speaks of how uh, we praise the name of God, and by praising the name of God, you're praising God. A lot of times the psalmist, out of respect, rather than saying God himself, he will say the name of God. And uh, it's referring to the same creator. Uh, it's, the psalmist says, from the highest heavens to the smallest child, 
in the first couple of verses. This is who is to praise our God. Uh, and then he says, from the highest heavens to the lowest human. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Um, in this passage, in this great verse, we're reminded that um, when when they were singing Jesus' praises uh, and um, the, the uh, Jewish leaders told them, you need to tell those kids to stop doing that. Uh, in Matthew chapter 21 is that he was coming in and they were singing his praises. Um, he told them, hey, haven't, don't you remember the scripture that says um, this very thought through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. Jesus remembers that verse. Verse three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That that. Next to the last verse we just read that talks about the pathways of the seas. Uh, it, again, a, an incredible statement that you think, wait, there aren't any paths in the seas. There's not any trails in the sea. Well, that's that's what you thought until um, in the last couple of hundred years or so, uh, someone came along and said, you know, um, there are currents out there. There's a Gulf Stream current. There's a Florida current. There's There's paths in the sea. And um, the Bible writer, he may not have had any idea what that meant when he wrote it around a thousand years before Christ, uh, but we know today. And what a great statement that is, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And this psalm praises God because of the high standing of humanity. What is mankind that you're mindful of us? I, God in all his holiness and creative power and yet he created humanity and, and, he, and he made us a big deal. He put us in charge of everything to have dominion over all this wonderful, amazing earth that he has created over everything else he created. Uh, mankind is in charge and that's a great responsibility that we need to take seriously. But first of all, it's a, it's a great, great blessing, one that we do not deserve. And the psalmist is overwhelmed with that as he says, what, what are we? that you're mindful of us, uh, verse four. You've made us just a little lower than the angels, verse five. And for humanity, for mankind, that is a very high position above everything else in creation, just a little lower than the angels. Uh, the psalmist says, crowned us with glory and honor. And that's a great thing. The psalmist sees that as a huge step up. But there's another passage that quotes this great scripture, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 2. And I want us to look at that passage for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 2 that quotes from Psalm 8. But for the writer of Hebrews, uh, he applies it not to all humanity, but to Jesus himself. And it's not a step up for Jesus. 
Uh, for Jesus, it's a step down. And we're reminded of that great passage in Philippians 2 that says Jesus emptied himself, lowered himself to take on humanity, to endure pain and suffering and death, even death on the cross. The, the psalmist writes about that, not knowing it might apply to Jesus, and in a different way. But the writer of Hebrews looks back on, on Psalm 8. And what the psalmist says was a great step up and an incredible high position for humanity was a, an incredible step down for the Son of God. Um, in Psalm uh, chapter 8, the writer of Hebrews quotes that great psalm in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. I love the writer of Hebrews. If you feel bad because you can't remember exactly where an Old Testament scripture is, it's okay. I think the writer of Hebrews knew, but this is a writing ploy. Somewhere it says, love that, love that so much. Uh, verse 6, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Quoting Psalm 8. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. That's the high position of humanity. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Verse 9, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, and it was a step down. From the very throne room of the Father, he became human. He emptied himself. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to hold tightly to. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 5 and following tells us. Instead, he emptied himself. He lowered himself. He took a position that was even lower than the angels. And he did that for your sake and for mine. The psalmist is just amazed with praise to God because of how high a position humanity has in all of creation. But the creator himself, the son of God himself, was made a little lower than the angels and took that form of human of humanity and gave his life for us the writer of hebrews makes no um make, uh, pulls no punches and says that we do see jesus hebrews 2 verse 9 who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of god he might taste death for everyone. The rest of Hebrews chapter 2 talks about that exact thing, how Jesus became human, how he suffered every way just like we suffer, and how he gave his life uh, for us uh, in order that we might be saved. What a great, great blessing that is. And so we say with the psalmist, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We praise God for our salvation through Jesus Christ. He is our creator and our savior. He is the one who was rejected and is now the cornerstone. He was made lower than the angels, but is now crowned with glory and honor. He is the one who came in the name of the Lord, and he is the one who will come again in the name of 
the Lord. We praise God from whom all blessings flow. We joyfully praise our Savior, proclaiming, I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. Amen.